Romans chapter 10, um, the contrast between unattainable legal righteousness and the righteousness of faith. Uh, this is a very important lesson. Uh, it's one that uh, we understand. Uh, we've heard enough about it through the years. Um, that is that uh, salvation isn't something we work out. It's a gift from God. That uh, doesn't mean you, you don't... Uh, you don't work because obviously we do. We do works of faith, but we don't do works of merit, works that earn us uh, salvation. And there's a big difference between the two, a big, big difference between the two. We'll, uh, we'll continue on. We're uh, on verse 13. We've uh, discussed the first 12, so we'll just get into verse 13. This, this verse here is a basis for a lot of uh, controversy. Uh, in religion, uh, for whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Uh, the uh, the preacher uh, makes some statements about that that's not accurate many times uh, on the TV. Uh, in the context, chapter 2, verse 16, uh, Peter is the one uh, speaking, the primary speaker. And uh, what, what had happened was... Uh, the apostles were all speaking in uh, different languages. I don't know exactly how it worked. Uh, it appears to me that uh, they spoke in uh, multiple languages uh, and the, the people that were there listening could hear them speak in their own language. And of course that was weird. And uh, the people thought, uh, that, you know, these guys are drunk. You know, guys over here babbling, they didn't know this language over here and when somebody started uh, speaking in it, they thought he was just babbling like a, like a drunk man would babble. And uh, they thought they might be drunk. And Peter assures them that that's not the case at all. Uh, he said, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel in the, in the long ago. It shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, your old men shall dream dreams. The last days uh, doesn't mean uh, that uh, the coming of Christ is imminent. Uh, some uh, advocate that it does, but it does not. The last days is uh, uh, the same thing as uh, the end of the age, uh, the last world, uh, the last dispensation. It's, it's the last period of time. There are uh, three periods of time in, in the Bible. The first one, of course, is uh, from the beginning to the advent of Christ. The second one is the 33 years that our Lord lived. And the final one is the Christian age began in Acts 2.38 and continues on to the end of time. So when he makes mention of the last days, He's talking about during the Christian era, during this time frame, uh, Joel was prophesying about what was coming, what would come uh, before the end. Uh, they would see this phenomenon occur. And verse 18, on my men servants and my maid servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they shall prophesy. I will also show wonders in heaven above and signs in the earth beneath blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness, the moon into blood, before the coming of the great and the awesome day of the Lord. 
and it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. The uh, descriptives in verse 19 and 20, I, I don't want to go into it, just you know, have to take my word for it because I don't want to get into it. But uh, the descriptives in verse 19 and 20 have to do with uh, the downfall of the uh, Jewish system. It was going to come to an end. Uh, it was prophesied by Joel, the sun being turned into darkness, the moon into blood. This was common apocalyptic language. It's very common. The Jews understood exactly what they were talking about. Um, because uh, this is the same language that was used uh, in the Old Testament on a number of occasions uh, when the Lord would uh, destroy various nations. Um, their downfall was usually described in terminology very similar to this. Uh, the higher powers, if you will, the sun, the moon, stars, the higher powers are going to come down. And uh, it will come to pass when that occurs, it will come to pass that at that time, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now, the idea is that whoever calls on the name of the Lord is uh, the equivalent of uh, saying the sinner's prayer. Okay, that's calling on the name of the Lord, according to a lot of people. Uh, if you will, uh, the preacher will say something like, if you believe in your heart and you will pray the sinner's prayer, you will be saved. And then he'll say, pray with me, and they'll pray. He's on the TV, of course. And they'll pray, and then uh, after he says about a 60-second prayer, he'll look up and tell the people, now, now you're saved, now you're a Christian, blah, blah, blah. Uh, that's based on this verse right here. It shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. But that's not what the verse means, obviously. Uh, and look, We'll go through and, and, and see how it, uh, what it means uh, in just a moment. Back in Joel 2.32, uh, Peter uh, quoted it at the beginning of his address. Uh, it's come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Uh, that was um, uh, the conclusion of the message. He said it uh, at the beginning of his address, and he said it again at the end of his address. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord uh, shall be saved. Uh, we know, obviously, that Joel was speaking about the day of Pentecost, this particular day in history. Um, Peter says in chapter 2, verses 16 and 21, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel, and it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. So what Joel prophesied, and Peter's saying that is now being fulfilled before your eyes, okay? The fulfillment of this prophecy. That's Peter's point. <clears throat> Everyone, the preacher, the belief that many people have is that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's true. That is true. But not the way a lot of people interpret it. Okay? It's not a matter of articulating, Lord, Lord, and you're going to be saved. Uh, it's not a matter of saying a sinner's prayer. It doesn't say anything about a sinner's prayer. It doesn't say anything about prayer. It says whoever calls on the name of the Lord, uh, this person shall be saved. Uh, we can it's we can identify exactly what that means. Uh, the preacher tells the believer, as I, I said a moment ago, ask the Lord to pardon and forgive you, and you shall be saved. Uh, that's not what he meant. Jesus was saying something really, really, really different. For example, in Matthew seven twenty one, 
not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, that's the exact opposite of what the preacher says, okay? The preacher said, whoever calls on the name of the Lord yet shall be saved. Jesus said, not everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved, okay? That's what he's saying. Not everyone who calls on the name of the Lord is going to be saved. Not everyone who articulates their belief in the Lord is going to be saved. That is not the path of salvation. It's taught to be that way today in Protestant denominationalism, uh, it, the ideal of uh, salvation by faith alone. Uh, we believe, and therefore we ask God to forgive us, and he shall. Um, the Bible doesn't teach us that. Uh, some have inferred it, but they've inferred it wrong, and uh, it's obvious. Uh, just calling on the name of the Lord, according to Jesus in Matthew 7, 21, that will not save. That's not good enough. Just because you call me Lord doesn't mean you'll enter the kingdom of heaven, which of course is the opposite of what modern belief is. Uh, it's he who does the will of my Father in heaven. It's not just calling on the name of the Lord, articulating his name. Uh, you've got to actually do something. You've got to do the divine will. You've got to do what the Lord wants you to do. Jesus, uh, Peter went on to describe the fact that Jesus fulfilled David's prophecy of the Messiah's death, burial, and resurrection uh, that was prophesied by King David back when he was alive, uh, about a thousand years before this time, about 900 years before this time. Uh, David prophesied uh, death, burial, and the resurrection. The Jews believed that David was talking about himself, uh, which he was not, and just a little common sense uh, would have showed them that that wasn't the case. David wasn't talking about himself. He was talking about someone else. Uh, and if you go through and study uh, the prophecy, you'll see that David was not talking about himself. He comes uh, to the conclusion, since Jesus is fulfilling David's prophecy, uh, that he is indeed the Messiah who died, was buried, and was raised from the dead. Therefore, based on that, he says, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now, <clears throat> when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart. Notice the, the sequence, uh, the order. When they heard what Peter said, with regard to Jesus being the fulfillment of David's prophecy of the death, burial, and resurrection of Messiah. When they heard that, they knew he was right. They knew he was right. He fulfilled prophecy right to the T. And they knew that uh, that's exactly what David was talking about. And because, uh, because of that, uh, Luke says, they were, they were cut to the heart. Now, cut to the heart, you know, you know what that means. If somebody says something derogatory to you, you might be cut to the heart. It's like somebody took a knife and just whacked your heart open because they've broken your heart. And uh, that's the meaning of it. That's the way these people felt when they heard what Peter said and they, uh, they understood what he said. It was as though someone took a, took a knife and just ripped their heart open. Uh, they were in uh, pain when they came to a knowledge of the truth. The reason they were in pain, they believed what they heard, obviously. If they didn't believe what Peter said, they wouldn't have been cut to the heart. 
they were cut to the heart because they did believe. And that's what made them feel bad, made them feel their guilt, made them realize, I'm responsible for the death of God's son. So they cried out to Peter and the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? They believed they needed to do something. Well, according to a preacher today, he would say you need to uh, confess your faith in God and, and pray to God and you will be forgiven. That's what people would be told today. You don't do anything. You don't merit your salvation. You can't earn your salvation. There's nothing for you to do except to pray to God for forgiveness. That's the, the, the verbiage that's uh, uh, taught uh, today in uh, this generation. Uh, but that wasn't the, uh, the answer of Peter and the others. When they asked, what shall we do? Peter said to them, repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. You'll notice that the remission of sins came after repentance and baptism, uh, not before. It was uh, a progression. Uh, it wasn't about praying to God to forgive you. It wasn't anything about you're going to be saved by your prayer and your faith. Uh, when they asked what we must do since we are such gross sinners, uh, Peter told them what they needed to do. They had to do this, and if they didn't do it, they would still be in their sins. Well, in the beginning of uh, his discourse in verse 21, Peter said, It shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's what Joel said. In verse 38, Peter said, Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for remission of sins. Now you notice the two uh, things that are stated, the two conclusions. In Acts 2.21, you shall be saved. Who? Whoever calls on the name of the Lord. That person shall be saved. In verse 38, Peter said, uh, you can receive remission of sins. To, be, to, to receive remission of sins is to receive forgiveness. If you receive forgiveness, you are sin free. If you are sin free, you become a saved person. So these two, these two ideas, shall be saved and for remission of sin, they're the same. They both mean the same thing. The, t the conclusion of the two are ex identical. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord, what about this person? They shall be saved. Whoever repents and is baptized, what about this person? They shall be saved. Well, they shall have their sins remitted or they shall be saved. The conclusion to both statements are the same thing, which means they're the same uh, in relation to one another. To be, uh, to be saved. How are you going to be saved? You have to call on the name of the Lord. How do you receive remission of sins? You are to repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus. If shall be saved and for the remission of sins are the same conclusion, then whoever calls on the name of the Lord and repent and be baptized are the same acts. They're both same. What does it mean to call on the name of the Lord? It means to repent and be baptized. And when you do either one, the conclusion is you shall be saved. That means that the two commands are the same as well. Uh, 
whoever calls on the name of the Lord isn't merely articulating faith in God. Uh, whoever calls on the name of the Lord is a person who looks to Christ for salvation. Now, when a person repents and is baptized, they're looking to Christ for the remission of sins. What are they doing? They're calling on the name of the Lord. It's the same thing. Just said a different way, but it's actually the very same thing. Notice again, next 22, verse 16. Uh, Paul is uh, being spoken to by a, a Christian man by the name of Ananias. Uh, Paul he met with Jesus on the Damascus Highway. He, he realized who he was talking to. He had been persecuting him and his followers for a pretty good time now. And when he met him on the highway that day, I don't know what kind of shame ran through Paul's body, but he had to have been eat up with guilt. He was on his way at that moment to go and arrest more Christians just because they were Christians. And now here he confronts their leader. What guilt must this man have felt? Uh, he, he had no idea what the Lord was going to do to him. Uh, in most cases, when, when a, a king uh, comes into contact with their great adversary, the king has that adversary slain. He'll have him killed because of the crimes he's committed against his, his people. What's this man, Jesus, going to do? Now that he's come face to face with Paul, Paul doesn't know. He, he, he wants to know what he can do, if there's anything he can do. And he's told to go into the city of Damascus, and there he will be told what to do. Well, the Lord told Ananias about Saul. He said, now I want you to go talk to him, and I want you to make him a disciple. And Ananias told Paul that he was sent by the Lord Jesus because he had a, a mission for him to accomplish. And then uh, he concludes in verse 16, why are you waiting? Arise, be baptized, and wash away your sins. The Lord was going to forgive him. He wasn't going to kill him. He was going to forgive him. But you've got to do something, Paul. What must I do? You must be baptized to have your sins washed away. Then he concludes his statement saying, calling on the name of the Lord. By calling on the name of the Lord in this particular verse is a participle phrase. What that means is when, when, he, when Dr. Luke wrote calling on the name of the Lord, uh, this phrase is uh, describing what was done by being baptized. By being baptized for the remission of sins, he was calling on the name of the Lord. He was looking to the Lord for salvation. He was trusting in the Lord to give him salvation. He wanted to be saved. He wanted to be forgiven. He didn't know how to do it. But he was told you can find salvation in Jesus, but you must be immersed in water. And then you can be saved. So Paul called on the name of the Lord and permitted himself to be immersed in water. And he became a Christian that day. Uh, there's a lot of people uh, I got a cousin who's a preacher he's a Baptist preacher and uh, he he doesn't uh, well he's too intelligent not to understand it but uh, he won't uh, he won't accept it as uh, truth uh, 
the truth in, in especially in regards to baptism uh, is, is so obvious and so glaring. Uh, I, I've often wondered why people uh, reject the command of baptism uh, for remission of sins. I, I've never understood that, to be honest with you. I can understand why a person rejects it if they are not aware of it. Any of us, if we're ignorant of something that the Bible teaches, of course we're not going to know that we ought to do it. Uh, you have to come to a, a knowledge of truth first uh, so a lot of people, uh, they don't, uh, they're not baptized for remission of sins just because they don't know we're supposed to be. Uh, there was a, a complicated situation the other day. Uh, I heard about uh, several years back, uh, I went to an elders meeting. The same thing happened at this congregation. And uh, what it was, uh, a man who became a member of the Baptist church. And uh, he came to this other church one day and uh, he responded to the invitation. And he explained to the elders that uh, he was a Baptist, uh, that he had been baptized and uh, he didn't need to be baptized again. He just need, wanted to place his membership with that congregation. And uh, the, the, the eldership was thrown into a bit of confusion over the situation. And uh, I got involved in it. And uh, the, the, the question was, uh, my question was, uh, was the person baptized for remission of sins? I don't believe it matters who baptizes you. I don't think it has to be a preacher. Uh, I've not ever subscribed to that notion. Uh, the preacher, if, if I baptize somebody, I'm only an instrument, that's all. Uh, it doesn't matter if it's me or any one of you. It, it really doesn't matter uh, who the instrument is. What matters is the person and, of course, the Lord Jesus. But was this person uh, baptized for the remission of sins? Now, I know the Baptist Church doesn't baptize for remission of sins. That's contrary to their doctrine. Uh, they baptize, the, and the person uh, in many churches joins the church by being baptized. Uh, sometimes, some people teach that it's, a, it's an acknowledgement of the fact that they've been saved, okay? There's different beliefs different religious groups have, uh, but most all are in agreement that a person is not immersed in water for remission of sins. So the problem you've got is this, is, is a fellow may have been uh, baptized uh, in a Baptist church, for example, but uh, was, he, was he baptized because of the church rule to, uh, to join the church? He was saved by faith, he believed, before he was baptized, and then about a month later, I think it was, uh, he was baptized. And he said, uh, I was baptized for remission of sins. And uh, I questioned him about that. Uh, you, 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 you believed and you were saved, and then about a month later, you were immersed in water. 
if you if you were saved, how could you have been baptized to remission of sins? I know the preacher wouldn't have said it, but that doesn't matter. It's what matters is what's in this man's heart. Uh, and only he can answer that question. Uh, I found it a very dangerous situation. I was uh, I was opposed to it, uh, and several people disagreed with me over that back at that time. I suppose it's still the same today. Anyway, uh, I didn't think the man should uh, have membership in the congregation uh, because I'm not so sure, number one, I'm not so sure that he was baptized for remission of sins, and it does make a difference. And something that even bothered me even more was his defiant attitude. Uh, when I go to a, a congregation, uh, I try to be um, my very best behavior and uh, be submissive to the eldership, everything. Uh, this fellow, uh, he didn't really care what the elders thought. He had already resigned to what he believed to be right. And I thought that was a very bold attitude to have for a man who was uh, opening his heart uh, to the Lord. Uh, you'd be amazed at some of the situations we run across uh, where a person uh, may or may not be prepared to obey the gospel. Uh, The elders received him into their fellowship, ultimately. Uh, and now it's between uh, the Lord and that man. Uh, I hope he was right. I hope he was right. But I've wondered about him many times. And now uh, more and more people are starting to do that. But anyway, don't want to get off on that too long. I get to thinking too much. Um, are there any questions or comments over this? It's very important. This is very important. This, this is a, believe it or not, it's actually a major tenet of New Testament Christianity. It's a very, very important matter, uh, calling on the name of the Lord to be saved. It divides, uh, it divides religion. And anything that divides religion is bad. Other than the truth, of course the truth divides, but it's not the truth that divides religion, really it's the lie. It's the lie that divides religion. Anyway, uh, we'll go on to verse 14. Uh, number seven, the gospel is freely offering salvation to all, having been announced to all, the disobedient, whether Jew or Gentile, is left without excuse. There's no excuse uh, for disobedience, and that's what Paul's going to point out. Uh, anyone who disobeys when they meet the Lord in the judgment, they have no excuse to offer up for their disobedience. Uh, verse 14, how then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? How do you, how do you call on Jesus as Lord uh, if you don't believe he's Lord? How can you do that then? How shall they believe in Jesus, whom, of whom they have not heard? 
They don't know who Jesus is. They don't know what he believes or what he taught. How are they going to call on him? How should they hear unless there's a preacher, a herald, to tell them the truth? How can they call on the Lord? How can they believe in the Lord unless they first hear the word of God? Well, they can't do that. <clears throat> How should they preach, the preacher, unless they are sent? As it is written, Isaiah 52 and verse 7, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. This is from uh, Isaiah 52, uh, the verses 6 and 7 and, and more. I, I want to read these with you because uh, it's informative. My people shall know my name, Jehovah said. Therefore, they shall know in that day that I am he who speaks. Behold, it is I. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who proclaims peace, who brings glad tidings of good things, who proclaims salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. Isaiah is not talking about uh, us. He's not talking about the church. He's talking about a different time. He's actually talking about the time when uh, the Jews will return to Palestinian lands after the Babylonian captivity. That's what he's referring to. Now, Dr. Luke and Paul, they, or rather Paul, he uses that prophecy and he made an application of it to today. But Isaiah was talking about something different. And we need to understand what Isaiah was talking about so that we can make an application of it today, okay? Uh, my people shall know my name, therefore they shall know on that day that I am he who speaks. They shall know, they will have evidence that demonstrates that it is I who am speaking while they are in Babylonian captivity. Behold, it is I. Well, how beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news. Uh, in, in this vision, uh, the Jew in Babylon can see Jerusalem, a, a city surrounded by mountains. Okay, And what do they see? They see God's heralds coming up on the mountain. And they're, they're, they're beckoning, come back. Okay, come back. Come back from Babylon. Come back to Palestine. How beautiful are their feet, those who bring us this good news that God is in Jerusalem again, okay? They, they get out from under the Babylonian bondage, and they get to return to their homelands. It's a time of great occasion. Now, this is what Isaiah is dealing with. And so many times... Uh, So many times uh, when this uh, prophecy is described, uh, the beautiful feet uh, is used in references to preachers. I don't know if that's true. Uh, who have the beautiful feet? It, are, it is those who made the initial call to the Jews 
to come back to Jerusalem. Okay? These were God's heralds. These were those who were sent out for the very purpose of bringing good news to God's people. It's time for you to come back, okay? So the beautiful feet are the heralds, and the heralds are those who stand on the mountains and beckon Israel to come home. Uh, I'll give you something to think about, okay? Uh, you can chew on this for a week or two. Uh, if I'm correct about the interpretation of this particular vision, could it be uh, that the only heralds, in the true sense of the word, the only heralds are those who first proclaim the gospel of Christ? Think about it. Now, I want, if you got uh, uh, some thoughts on it, you know, in a week or two, whatever, I would uh, like to know what you think because I'm just now chewing on this. But uh, in my mind, I tell you what I see. Uh, I think those that had the beautiful feet, those heralds that are described as men with beautiful feet, these are those who initially called the Jews to come back to Palestine. If that's correct, then that could also mean that the preachers, those who were sent forth to broadcast the good news, could be those who first proclaimed the gospel of the 12 apostles. Now, if they are the true preachers, would I be classified as a preacher today? I don't herald news. I repeat it. The apostles spoke a message never heard before. I don't do that. I speak a message that you're aware of. I don't know that I'm a preacher in the true sense of the word or a teacher. Personally, I think it's the latter rather than the former. There's a different work between a, a, a preacher, or herald, and a teacher. Uh, a preacher, uh, the herald, proclaimed unheard good news. Well, that was accomplished through the apostles. I don't know that the rest of us are necessarily preachers, not in that sense of the word, or better classified as teachers. Personally, I prefer teacher over preacher because I never really thought of myself as a preacher. To me, that was a work that the apostles did, not me. I just repeat what they wrote, that's all. Uh, but think about it, because it is built on this prophecy. Behold it is I, how beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who proclaims peace, who brings glad tidings of good things, who proclaims salvation, who says to Zion, your God is reigning in Jerusalem. But, Paul goes on, they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? This is a, again from Isaiah 53 and verse 1. So then faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. This is the conclusion he has drawn. 
faith, hearing, and the word of God. To have faith, you don't necessarily have to hear, but you must be made aware of the word of God. Without the word of God, there is no faith. And this, again, is a very important lesson because faith is going to be determined by our knowledge. Your faith will not outdistance your knowledge. Uh, I believe Jesus is the Son of God because I know what the Bible says about Jesus being the Son of God. I know it to be true. And the only way I could really be confident that it's true is if I have that knowledge for myself. Uh, we have to uh, acquire the knowledge in order to reach faith. And it is, of course, by faith that we are ultimately saved. By faith, we do what we do because that's what we want to do, because we know it's the right thing to do. So faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Um, corn begins with a seed. People begin with a seed. Faith begins with a seed. The faith is described uh, as beginning with the seed. In Luke 8, verse 11, Jesus said the seed is the word of God. Okay? So you can imagine uh, a seed being implanted in the heart, as James says, chapter 1, verse 21. The seed, the word of God, is implanted in the heart, okay? It, it, it finds root in the heart, and then it begins to grow. But it begins with a seed. In James 1.18, uh, James said of his own will, that is God's will, this is something he wanted to do, beget he us with the word of truth. Uh, Beget includes the notion of conceived. He conceived and he helped us grow. And he did this with the word of God, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Of his own will is a participle, and it means rightly, willingly, he brought us forth. Just like a, a woman uh, conceiving and bringing forth a child even so with his seed, the word of God, planted in a good and honest heart, it too brings forth a child, this child being called, of course, faith. Instead of regarding God as the source of temptation and sin, he it is who will to give us life by means of the truth. In John 1, verses 11 to 13, John said Jesus came to his own, his own did not receive him, but as many as did receive him to them, he gave the right to become children of God to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. This was God's doing. God is the one who created the conception and nurtured the growth of faith. Well, let me just finish this first. Uh, I say, have they not heard? Yes, indeed. Their sound has gone out to all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. In Colossians 1.23, Paul said, the hope of the gospel was preached to every creature under heaven. This was 29 years after the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. 29 years later, Paul could say the gospel was preached to every creature under heaven. I think that's fascinating. But 
when you look at what who was there on the day of Pentecost in Acts 2, uh, there was people from different places all over the Roman Empire. They heard the gospel preached, many of them became Christians, and they went home and started preaching the gospel themselves. And of course, it fanned out from there. Well, you okay, baby? Uh, we'll, uh, we'll continue, uh, Lord willing, uh, next week. We gotta get all this together though. So we'll review what we've just talked about and then we'll move forward to verse 